0: Invite you to be seated to turn to Romans chapter 11. Thomas Watson, the English Puritan, said this. He said, The glory of God is a silver thread which must run through all of our actions. As you turn to Romans 11, know that the theme of Romans 11, though there are several themes, ultimately the theme is just that the glory of God. In the book of Romans, Paul walks through God's plan to save the world to save not only the Jewish people, but to save the Gentiles as well. And the book from chapter 1 through 11, it builds up to this end part of this doxology that begins in verse 33. And then after this doxology is the how do we live out these truths section. All of Paul's writings, we find heavy theology, and usually it's a little more evenly divided, like in Ephesians Chapters 1 and 2 are uh, theology, and then chapter 3 and 4 are walkology, we call it. And Colossians is the same, and we see that throughout his writings. Here it's very lopsided because he builds a deep and a rich well of theology, of truth, of who God is, and who we are apart from God and who we are meant to be with God. And it ends in this great doxology. And so look with me in verses 33 through 36 And I'm going to say, if you're able, would you just stand with me again today as we look at this verse, as we read this verse together, if you're able to stand, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated again? What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean really to glorify God? This was one of the questions of the reformers. As they were seeking to bring the church back to the foundational truth of God's Word. Scripture alone being our only authority, our one and only authority. It wasn't the words of the preacher or the Pope plus the Scripture. It was the Scripture only that was the foundation of truth. And how are men saved? How is mankind ever to be saved if not by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? Amen? And all of those things built to this final sola, the final, the pinnacle sola, if you will. If the scripture is the foundation, and if the point is grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then this is the pinnacle, the peak. This is what life is meant to be about, the glory of God alone. So what does it mean to glorify God? It does not mean that we make Him more glorious. It means simply to acknowledge His glory and to value it above all things, and then in turn to make it known to all people. Amen? And there are many definitions that are involved in understanding what it means, but we're going to look at this doxology in Romans 11, 33 through 36, and look at just three simple aspects of what it means to bring glory to God, to glorify in God. And the first thing is found in the beginning of verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. The first thing Glorifying God means is this to marvel at His grandeur, to marvel at who God is, and we have relegated the glory of God to. Uh, let me rephrase that: we have relegated this God of glory to be just another idol uh, amongst humanity. That He's no different. He's 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 no more supreme and no more worthy than the Buddha or Allah that false God of Islam, that he's no different. In fact, we've relegated the Lord God by way of Jesus Christ to the corner of religion. We can talk about any religion today, amen, except for biblical Christianity. And it seems that this religion rubs the loss the wrong way. It's strange to them. And sadly, we find so many churches today have watered down the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And they've diminished the glory of God by relegating, again, Jesus to a corner of the world. Jesus is rarely mentioned in so many of our American churches today. The gospel is rarely presented by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We focus on therapeutic theologies Therapeutic theology is meant to make us feel better about our sin. We've been conditioned to such things by the airways of TBN and these other uh, professing Christian channels. We see it now through TikTok and through Instagram and through YouTube and Facebook and other aspects of social media. The God who gives us things that we want. The God of health, the God of wealth, and the God of prosperity. But this is not the biblical God. And we've robbed God of His glory when we fail to remind a watching world, especially the church, amen, that Jesus is the true God and there is salvation none other than Him, amen, and that this God is glorious and splendid and majestic and we need to marvel. And that's what Paul begins to just grope for words here, the depth of the riches both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. Unfathomable are His ways. You see, God is not that which can be contained in our theology. God is bigger than our theology, amen? Our theologies seek to capture who God is and what He does and what He's about, but they are small compared to God. They're minute, compared to his grandeur. And so we should marvel at who he is. Paul worships God for his wisdom, his knowledge, his omniscience, his judgments, his ways, the riches of God. He is rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in grace and faithfulness and power and goodness. The wisdom of God. His wisdom is infinite. It's unsearchable. It's incomparable. It's inconceivable. And that's not just for the princess bride, right? Right inconceivable. And that is our God. His knowledge is omniscient. He knows everything. He doesn't learn anything. He's never caught by surprise. He knows it all. Everything possible to know, He knows. Everything actual, He knows. All events, He knows. All creatures, He knows. The past, He knows. The present, He knows. The future, our God knows. Amen? His decisions, unsearchable. They're too deep for our feeble minds to fully comprehend, to wholly understand the ways in which He arranges creation and orchestrates history and redemption and providence. and uh, These things are beyond our limited comprehension. The way He receives glory in dying as much as He receives glory in living, it's hard to grasp and hard to fathom. But it's true, amen? It's true. We can never exhaust the marvelous nature and grandeur of our God. And so we, oh, Christian, we should marvel. Amen. Marvel. We cheer for sporting events. We applaud the bands when they win the marching competitions. We are ecstatic over things of this time, of this now. But there are mortal things that don't last. And we show more affection towards these things of the now than we do to our eternal God. I think we've lost the sense of marvel and wonder, amen? We should marvel at God. But secondly, look at the last half of this verse, down through verse 35. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unfathomable His ways for who has known the mind of the Lord. Or who became his counselor? Or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Here Paul reaches back into the well of his remembrance as he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13, which says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or, who is, uh, who, or as his counselor has informed him? And the answer is no one. It's a rhetorical question. There's none that can counsel the Lord. But also in Job 41 verse 11, that reads this way. Who is given to me that I should repay, says the Lord. Who is given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God owns everything, amen? And he knows everything. He's over everything. He is complex, but he is worthy of praise. Has the, has the worth of who God is. Has the complexity of, of his makeup. Has it brought you to a place of awe? Is it the burden that won't release you? I was reminded of Psalm 145 Thursday night as some of the elders went and spent time with Rusty and Brandy at Harbor Hospice in Beaumont. Ms. Karen's there, and can I just say I am so glad that you were called to that position. You minister as much as you seek to heal and to comfort. And so thank you, Karen for your ministry there. And that's what it is. It's ministry. But as we were there, I was reminded of Psalm 145. We sing it oftentimes, or or at least listen to the Shane and Shane rendition of this song. I guess it's been some time since we've actually sang it ourselves, but verses three, four, and five read this way. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. And I think so often our trials, our tribulations, and our our pain overwhelms us and overshadows the magnificence of our God. He is worthy of praise, amen. And there is nothing more important not a, not a high school diploma or a college degree. Those are not more important. Not a promotion at, uh, at your dream job. Not more important than the complexity and the majesty of our God. And so we should marvel at Him, but we should also meditate upon His ways. We talk about this a lot in counseling here at the church. Where your mind is, right? There's the rest of you, typically. And if our mind is only in a deep, dark place, guess where the life will be? In a deep, dark place. And there's so many opportunities for us to find hurt and harm and dissatisfaction and distaste, is there not? There's so many opportunities for us to find displeasure and sadness. This world is full of those things. But our God is rich in mercy. And grace and loving kindness and His ways, unfathomable as they may be, are worthy of praise. We may not understand Him fully. And I dare say that none of us do. Amen. He is beyond description. And yet we still can find reasons to marvel at Him and to meditate upon Him. He is great and He is glorious. Think about the attributes of God. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. And so when we face times of hardship, of pain, of suffering, of of cancer, of death, we can marvel and meditate upon the sovereignty of God who knew before He created us this day. Amen? He knew this day. He knew this moment. And He knew what we would go through and what we would avoid. All things filter through the mighty hand of God. Amen? Amen? And we need to find comfort in that and be be assured and be rested in who He is. And so meditate upon His sovereignty. He is the great I Am. And as Psalm 145, verse 3, great is the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is He like the Houston Dynamo with their playoff today? They're a great team. Is He like the U.S. soccer team? A great team in the playoffs, He's so much greater than these trivial things. Amen? So much greater. Great are you, Lord. And so we meditate, we contemplate who God is. And remember, biblical meditation is not this. oh It's not the emptying of our minds. Folks, our minds are empty enough. Amen? Biblical meditation is nothing like Eastern mystical meditation. It's not emptying ourselves to become one with nothingness. That is... That is dangerous and that is heretical. Biblical meditation is dwelling upon God, upon His Word, about His attributes, about who He is and what He's done, what He's promised to do, to dwell, to, 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 to remember, and even to ruminate upon God's Word. To chew the, to, um, chew the cud, so to speak, right? Like a cow chews, regurgitates, chews it again. That's what we're to do with God's Word, to take it in. Over and over and over again to contemplate who God is. Now, let me just ask you a simple question, and I think the answer should be obvious enough. Can you ever reach the end of meditating upon the wondrous mystery of who God is? No, absolutely not. You can come to the end of me, I could come to the end of you, but we'll never exhaust who God is. There is always something, and His mercies are new every morning, amen? So there's always something to consider about who God is, even in the midst of tragedy. It's been such a blessing. It has been such a blessing to be able to share in the sufferings of Brandy as she has walked with her cancer. And I don't mean the pain of the physical suffering that she has found herself with. But as she has battled, and now as she is any moment about to win this battle over cancer, as she is received into glory, she has walked with an integrity and a peace and an acceptance of God's will. And it has been absolutely stunning to watch. It's been a blessing. There is no way Brandy has exhausted the end of who God is. And in fact, we told her Thursday night that that she won. She's beaten us all, right? Unless the Lord has other plans like right now, she's beaten us all to glory. She's winning this race. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness, right? No more tears, That's because our God is good, and He has promised redemption and glorification even for His people. Amen? And we have that to look forward to, do we not? We have that to look forward to. So those are things that we can meditate upon and praise God because of, which brings us to this last point here this morning. We can magnify God with our life. So not only do we marvel at who God is, and again, there's tons about God, who He is and what He's done and what He plans to do. Still, there is so much, there is an endless bounty of reasons for us to marvel at Him. We can meditate upon the complexities of who He is and how He works all things to His will perfectly. We can marvel about those things and meditate upon those things. But finally, we have to come to the point where we do what verse 36 says for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen and all God's people say amen. amen this is the end all to magnify God with our life so so it's so sad that so much of Christianity in America is about praising God with hands lifted up voices raised right fog machines fancy lights an emotional appeal. There's so much that's been relegated in in American Christianity to call that worship. And then so many of those folks who, who are prostate on the ground before God go back to their working world and their school world and their family world and they are just as worldly as the people who do not know God. Folks, the internal belief the, 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 the internal dealings with God and who He is, those are the real things about us, amen? And they should come out in how we live. They should come out in our life. Everything that I have, be it this position of pastor here, of, of lead elder, senior pastor, preaching, teaching pastor, whatever it is you want to call me, right? Custodian, I mean, whatever, Right. This position is from God, and so I should be grateful and magnify God for that position. Amen? Amen? The sickness that I struggle with is also an opportunity to magnify God. Amen? And it's ever bit as much of worth in that as there is in the other. One is good, stressful a lot, yes, right? But it's good. Because you're like sheep without a—I sh- mean—who have who have gone astray. I mean, you have a shepherd, an under shepherd, but but it's hard shepherding. Uh, I don't hit with my stick nearly as hard as I used to, and and you fight back now, and so that's difficult. But that's a blessing from God. Pain is a blessing from God. It's a reason to magnify our jobs. Maybe it's not the job that you want, but it's a job, and it puts food on the table. Amen. It's a reason to glory in God, to magnify God. And so since all things are from God, through God, and for God, it follows that He gets the glory for all of it. Amen? And do you realize, sadly, there are so many people in the church as a whole, the church universal, so many people in leadership in our churches even, that rob God of His glory. They glory in themselves and they live for approval and for applause. And it's sinful and shameful, amen? Especially for leaders in the church. Our job is to magnify God with our life in such a way that people do not see us, but they see God in us. Amen? And that should be true of all of us, whether we're in leadership or not. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, if your goal in life is... Anything less than the glory of God, you're a worshipper of idols. And that's a pretty in your face statement, but it's very true. If your god in life is anything less, I mean your goal in life is anything less than the glory of God, you are a worshipper of idols. If I'm in this church for what I get out of this church, I worship an idol of my own making. Amen. It's about God's glory. And so, beloved, how can God be glorified in each of us today at Grace Point Point in Eagle Heights? How can God be glorified in our walk together here? How can God be glorified as we go back to college, as we go back to work, as we go home, as we share with our neighbors, our friends? How can God be glorified in us? I forgot who said it, but someone said that God is most glorified in us when we are what? Do you remember? Most satisfied in Him. Most satisfied in Him. Where's your satisfaction? Don't be like Mick Jagger, right? I can't get no satisfaction when that Mick Jagger. Some of you are still asleep. The goal of life is the glory of God. So are you glorifying God at work? Are you glorifying God at school? Are you glorifying God in a secular um, class at college when your teacher and others around you are blaspheming God and calling Him a liar and declaring He's not real? Do you glorify God with your stance for the truth of who God is? But that's hard. Amen, that's hard. But for such a time as this, you may have been placed right there. Amen? Amen. Are we glorifying God? Folks, if we are a worshiper of that which is less than God, how about we battle that desire with a greater desire for God? Do you ever want something that's just not worth wanting? you ever want something that's not good for you? I mean, like really want it? Like me in a glass bottle Mexican Coke? That's real sugar in those, so it's a little better, Courtney. It's a little better for me. But it's not good for me, but I crave it sometimes. When's the last time we craved for God? When is the last time? You know, I I have this on and off affair with Tillamook Vanilla Bean Ice Cream, right? On and off. It is. It's on and off. I haven't had any. Oh, wait, since yesterday. Oops. Sorry. Madison gave me some. I forgot. Sorry. But it's on and off again. I'm off today. I won't have any today because there is no more at our house. So it's on and off, right? I'm being honest. But when's the last time I've craved after God the way I crave for sugar? My body craves that. So I need to replace that lesser desire with a greater desire. And so here's the question. Who can satisfy like our God? And what's the answer? No one and no thing. Amen? The applause of man is fleeting. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't. There's no drug. And Huey Lewis can sing about a new drug all he wants to, right? But there's no drug that can compare and that can give us that continual, uh, not feeling. The feeling is just not, it doesn't just equate it well enough. There's just no language, I don't think. That sense of just completion, maybe, that we get when we give ourselves wholly to God. So who can satisfy? Like God, the answer is no one. That's why I love Psalm 42. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist writes this, As the deer pants for the water brooks. And I love King James here. As he panteth. It just has a richer, stronger ring to it to me. But as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist understood that there is nothing that satisfies. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon had women coming out the wazoo, whatever that is, right? And they didn't satisfy. He had riches beyond our imagination, but they did not satisfy. He had fame, fortune, all of those things. He could not find the meaning of life. Endlessness. There is nothing under the sun until God. But God, we like to say, amen? But God. Only God can satisfy us. So Thomas Chalmers, I know I've mentioned this throughout the years. The expulsive power of a new affection. That tiny little book of the Puritan Thomas Chalmers. He's right. It's fancy old English words, but it's right. We need a greater affection. A greater affection. And it is expulsive in the power. It It will push out lesser value things the more we set our minds on the things above, amen? Colossians chapter three, verse one, verse two. The more we do that, the more we seek after God, seek first his kingdom, Matthew chapter six. The more we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the more those lesser things are pushed out. We put on righteousness. We put off Ephesians chapter four, verses 22 through 24. And folks, the more satisfied we find ourselves with God, the less the junk food of life appeals to us. That's an analogy. Real junk food may still appeal to you. It'll be okay. But the trivial pursuits of this life pale in comparison to who God is and what He does in filling us. Amen? And so we need this... A expulsive power. We need a greater affection, and it's only found in the one who made us. Again, he is the potter. We are the clay. We were made for him. Now, some of you may have seen that Matthew Perry passed away yesterday. He apparent um, drowning. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he was Chandler being on Friends. And I don't know Chandler, I don't know much about his life. Um, what little bit I do know, he seemed to battle with drugs and alcohol addiction for most of his adult life. And uh, I don't know how that came out, but just from the few pieces of things, reading, uh, there's a Rolling Stone article. I don't read Rolling Stone normally, but there was an online article uh, in, in Rolling Stone. He mentioned just this, this, this need to find something to fill him. And folks, just like so many before him, Kurt Corbain uh, Chris Farley of Saturday Night Life, a, and countless others looking for satisfaction in life. And nothing felt, nothing filled the void. Nothing in this life could fill the void except for God. I'm reminded this week of Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, where Jeremiah records this. He says, Has, has a nation changed gods? Now, this is talking about, about Judah specifically here. But he says, has a nation changed gods when there were not gods? But my people, God says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. The people of, of, of Israel, be they the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, both were prophesied about, both were warned, both were reprimanded, both came under the judgment of God. But they traded in the glory of the one true God for idols, for false things. They look for pleasure and wealth and satisfaction in wooden idols, golden idols, idols of iron and steel, of clay. But he said, for that which does not profit, because we were made for eternity, temporal things cannot satisfy us. Amen? Amen? Church, we need to know this well. He says, he goes on to say, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares Yahweh. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew, you're right, to to dig out for themselves, is what that means. To hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. All the things we try to satisfy ourselves with are empty, they're leaking. They look good at first, but they come up empty because there is a crack in the bottom. They're a broken cistern. Only God can satisfy wholly, and only God can satisfy eternally. The well does not run dry. Amen? So we marvel, we magnify, we meditate upon Him, all of these things, because He alone is the source and the answer of satisfaction. And that's why He's worthy to be praised. One reason among many, yes, but he is worth our all because of who he is and what he has done in redeeming us and redeeming a people for himself. Beloved, only the true God can satisfy you. And if you are trying to, to work out some, some deal with God and, and try to come to church enough, t- you know, uh, I'm going to come at least twice a month and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I give at least once when I'm there and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up trash this week and, and, and we try to deal with God if you will just do this. Folks, we do not know God. We do not know God. God cannot be bargained with. Amen? He is infinitely beyond us. We need to marvel and meditate upon Him, and and come to understand. So how do we understand who God is? You might ask. Thank you, I'm glad you asked. We understand who God is through His Word. This is the sola, the soul, the one and only authority we have. This is what we check. All pastors, all preachers, all theologians, all who claim to speak for God are judged according to this Word. Amen? Amen? It's not Sola Kevin. It's not Sola Joel Osteen. It's not Sola the Pope. It's not Sola anybody. It's Sola Scriptura. Amen? Amen? It's Thus saith the Lord. Chapter and verse we've added, but they're there for a reason. Did God say it? Did God say it in His Word? If not, is it worth our repeating? The answer is no, no. And so only this God can satisfy us. And so we get to know Him through His Word. We get to know Him through the study of this Word. As we sit even under the proclamation and teaching of the Word from the pulpit. We come to understand who God is. We're warned about His wrath and His fierceness. Because He is still a God of wrath. Amen? He's not just holy, holy, holy. He's also a God of wrath. He's an angry God. He's angry with sin and injustice. And yes, He's a God of grace, mercy, and love. The world likes those attributes, but how often do they glory in the wrath of God and His hatred of sin? Very little. In fact, they, they try to rewrite those things and redefine those things. But God's glory is glorious for us to be involved with. It gives us meaning. It gives us a sense of purpose and a sense of, of hope and life. There's more to what we see here, amen? There's so much more than what's happening right now. There is something that is infinite and we were made for that. And that's God. We were made for Him. And since we were made for His glory, we will always malfunction whenever we fail to live for that very purpose. We come up short, do we not? Our life is about God. And so God's glory does not detract from our life. It doesn't get in the way of our life. It doesn't push out good things from our life. Rather, God's glory is the sun around which our whole life is to orbit and to resolve. And when's the last time we woke up thinking those kind of thoughts? Did you wake up today thinking, God, my life is for you. I orbit around you. You and your will are the center of my being. Do with me what you will today. In life, in death, with sickness or health, amen, be glorified in me today. That should be our prayer every day, amen? Amen? Amen. The Westminster Confession, question one of the shorter catechism said this, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those Westminster ministers, they understood as they were fighting back against Catholicism and against the, uh, the High Church of England, as they were fighting back against what true doctrine was supposed to be about, about what the glory of God was and about how Scripture was the sole authority. As they were recording all of these things. They understood what we need to be reminded of daily, that it's about God. And they knew that the glory of God was not a drudgery. It was not hell on earth for us who believe. It is joy. Amen? It is to be enjoyed. It's to be enjoyed. So would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I would ask you to consider right where you sit or stand, wherever you may be if you're watching from home, do you live for the glory of God? Would you say that your life to this point is for the glory of God. And, And you may be under heavy conviction from God's Spirit in this moment. You may realize in this moment that you have not been Christian and God's Spirit is drawing you to Himself. Would you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ even now? By grace, it's no works. It's not because you're good enough, smart enough or any of those things. It's surely by the grace of God that He draws you to Himself. Would you repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and be saved? Would you trust what Jesus has done in giving His life upon the cross at Calvary to pay the price for our sin, to redeem a people for Himself, to rescue them out of that slave market of sin that we are all born into? Would you profess Christ? He is Lord of all. Would you confess that He is just that? Believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and be saved. To the glory of God. You have traded in slavery uh, 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 of sin. Now you have become a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us in Christ belong to Him and we live for His glory. May we do so with joy. And maybe life has been hitting pretty hard lately in your corner. I get it. I understand. It happens to all of us. But would you confess your short-sightedness and looking at your pain and looking at the, the, the snares that are in your path? Would you confess if those things have been receiving more of your attention than the God who is over those things? Would you confess to God your short-sightedness, your near-sightedness? Would you pray, God, forgive me of those things? May I glory in you even on the hard stuff, even in the difficult things, God, may I remember how good you are and that you work all things out to the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. But ultimately, it's for your glory. God, would you remind us and may we be reminded today that God can be glorified in our sickness ever bit as much as in our health. And folks, can I dare say that sometimes He is more glorified in our pain So you praise God for pain today. So Father, we thank you for your glory. We thank you that, that we are allowed to glory in you, Father, in this mortal flesh. We're grateful that we can come to you through the cross at Calvary and the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Son. We rec- recognize that, like Isaiah cried out, "I am undone." I am unclean. I, I, I should be obliterated and disintegrated in your presence. We recognize that that's what we deserve. And yet, by grace through faith in Jesus, you have made us able to stand and to acknowledge and reflect your glory. So may we be good mirrors that reflect glory in Jesus. And we ask this in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. I, I